Roca di Papa, 10th January 2002. Father Foresi to the School of Focolarini. The Second Choice of God. The Second Choice of God. This conversation refers to the journey that Christians undertake in order to grow in their union with God. Those who have some knowledge of the history of the spirituality will find many similar points with what the mystics and great teachers of this field say. Yet, in the reflections that I want to humbly propose, like in a family, there are two characteristic notes. First of all, it does not consist of theoretical concepts, but more of a collection of experiences in these years of many persons of the Focolare movement. The other characteristic, the most important, is about a spirituality that is clearly communitarian. Its steps have been described by Carol Lubick in a simple but very profound and original way during her talks on the way of Mary. In this spirituality, the ascent to God is related to the growth of unity with the brothers. So, all that I will tell you about the union with God has always in a way reflect the relationship with the brother and vice versa. To believe that God is love implies a great discovery. The discovery of the personal love of God for us, for me. With an infinite love, He continues to love us even if we have not corresponded to His gifts and even if we have committed the greatest wrong. He loves us always and always more. What we want to ask ourselves now is, in front of this love of God for us, this love of God that is given to each one of us, how can we respond? What must we do? What can I do for God? We have to do it step by step. In the meantime, Jesus has revealed to us in the Gospel how we can love God back with all our mind, heart, and strength. As narrated in the Gospel of Mark, chapter 12, verses 28 to 34. When we say that we have made the choice of God as the all of our life, as our only ideal, what have we done? We have made the decision to love God with all our mind, heart, and strength. What does this concretely mean? With all our mind implies two things. First of all, that the mind is not taken by thoughts that are contrary to God and, positively, that all of one's intelligence, all of one's talent, be placed at the service of God, given to Him. In fact, one can notice in Christians who reached a great maturity how much their mind is devoted to the service of God, of the Church, of humanity. When they do their task, they study all the means so as to bring ahead completely for God, 
without referring to themselves. Looking at the life of these persons, it cannot be imagined that their mind can think of any other thing but the growth of the kingdom of God in the world. In fact, it often happens that talking with them when they are asked something about their personal lives without realizing it, they often are not able to talk about themselves. They refer spontaneously to what they do for others, how persons and the works they are doing now. For Christians, who are more at the start of their spiritual life instead, one can notice that God is not the all yet of their mind, that the activities that they do are done for themselves and not for God. Even when they do things for the church, even if they seem to be done for God, in reality, they are often done for other motives that do not reflect a true choice of God. They act because of natural activism, as they would have done for any other option, because of the sense of being part of a body that makes it look for the growth of one's own institution because of personal taste, in order to reach places of honor, in order to be recognized by the others, and so on. Somebody expressed himself well in this way when he confided to me that he realized how much he was doing for God and yet how little God there was in the things that he was doing. Perhaps, one may have worked the whole of his life doing apostolate, moving around in the midst of sacred things, without ever having made this profound and true choice of God, but in the end, only looking for oneself. But since God loves them, such persons would then be purified by Him, also through sufferings, and in the measure that they correspond they will go ahead spiritually and God will take them more and more. The love of God is a jealous love. He wants us all for himself because the human person is fully himself, realizes himself, and finds happiness only when he is totally of God. This is understood, for example, seeing Christians that if they haven't known the gospel, they would have remained insignificant, mediocre persons, perhaps good, but they would not have done anything. While in the measure in which God takes their intelligence, they are able to do wonderful things for themselves and for the others. Then God wants that we give to Him all our heart. In the Bible, the heart has a wide meaning, but in this moment, I would like to consider only what regards the emotion, on the entire gamma of feelings that can only be defined with the word heart. They are very important aspect of our being a person, and among other things, they are not easy to govern with reason, to channel so that they are totally given to God. They rather tend to attach themselves to many things that are not God. 
there are also two things to do here. On one part, to give our heart totally to God with a firm will. On the other, to avoid that these feelings would go against the things that God wants. The virtue of prudence is necessary here. Since the heart is often blind and it has a very dull intelligence that cannot come out from certain labyrinths, so they need to be detached far from those realities that can arouse those feelings. In certain occasions, in order to overcome them, to direct one's own sentiments, one must be very way ahead in holiness, having overcome the purification of senses, and perhaps also that of the Spirit, be able to have the heart of Jesus in the place of our heart. But we must never be discouraged. Whoever has these trials, these temptations, not even to take for granted to be able to overcome them, if not with a great will to love God and using a great prudence. We must, in fact, detach ourselves from everything that is not God, that does not come from God. When our heart wants to pull us towards desires of the flesh, the selfish search of wealth, the greed for power, what must we do? Must we face the situation with boldness or with mortification? In this case, it seems that is only boldness. We need true courage to cut. We must mortify ourselves so that, as St. Paul says, the new man grows in us, lives in light, sees the things the way God sees them. At times, someone says, I would like to overcome these tendencies remaining in the situation, not escaping but facing these temptations. Well, we must convince ourselves that it is almost impossible or it is a subconscious trick so as not to cut or innocence or lack of experience. Sometimes, we even justify ourselves with spiritual disputes. They only fool us, and in the end, they give us many sufferings. Oftentimes, in order to overcome certain feelings, it is enough to share the difficulties, perhaps with a person expert in life, ended and in the things of God. At times, only the fact of sharing the problems makes us reconsider them and find the strength to act in the right sense. Naturally, to be prudent, to cut, to mortify is only the negative aspect. Consequence of that positive aspect which is to love God and to give our heart totally to Him. We don't leave evading God, but choosing Him and His design of love on us and on humanity. In the measure then in which we give ourselves to God, our feelings become divine. We realize it when we meet certain persons, when you see that because they are completely of God, they have become profoundly human. You notice it in how they listen, how they talk, how they understand, their wisdom, determination, mercy. They are persons who act following the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Hence. It is often said that they come at the right time, 
that they leave a mark on persons, that they produce works that last. The other point is to love with all strength. Certain persons love God and others, giving themselves in such measure. They go beyond their own strength, and they even get sick. Certainly, God is happier with one who gets sick, giving oneself totally to God, than one who, because of a small attachment to oneself, has tried to save one's own strength. But this does not imply on our part that we must kill ourselves. To get sick, to be exhausted, means to remain inactive, perhaps for years. So we must order our lives in such a way that there is time also for rest, so that we can continue to give ourselves more and better. Unless God sends us illness without us looking for it, that is a different thing, because illness serves to mortify us. When we get sick, one realizes what Paul said to the Colossians, In my own flesh, I fill up what is lacking in the sufferings of Christ for the sake of his body, the church. When God gives us the grace of being sick, it is because he has thought for us a great spiritual development, bountiful also with great fruits. Perhaps we don't see them at once, but there are. Often, God makes use of sickness to purify also our external senses so that our entire being is taken by God. So, is it that a dark night of the Spirit exists? Through the illness, God allows us to pass a certain dark night of the body? As the soul must be purified, so must the body pass a certain purification. The absolute purification comes with the death, because with the death and the resurrection, there would be the rebirth of everything. But already here on earth, a certain death of the body serves for a certain resurrection of the body itself. And, in a certain way, a beginning here on earth of a resurrection of the body. At this point, I would like to make another step. Is it enough to do what we have said so far, also with some inevitable imperfections, in order to love God? Or, at a certain moment, God asks us some other thing? For those who have already given themselves with all their mind, heart, and strength, at a certain moment, God asks them to make again this choice of Him. How does this differ from the first? The first, we have understood that God is loved above everything, that we must put Him in the first place of our life, and with goodwill, we have tried to love Him with all our heart, mind, strength. But if we fragment this choice of ours, in reality, we will find that it contains 30% of the love of God, 30% of the nausea of mediocrity and emptiness in which we live, 15% of joy and enthusiasm for the fact that we give ourselves to such a beautiful and holy cause, and perhaps 10% of fear. I would like to say that 
Practically, it is impossible that in the first choice there is a total love, a full love. But from the moment, that perfection is only in charity. Although secondary motives that at the beginning have helped us because they are enveloped by our goodwill and by our effort to love God, little by little, they come out and disturb us. It is logical that they come out because they were there before, like weeds that have grown together with a good wheat, according to the Gospel of Matthew. They are small attachments, defects, attitudes that are not really authentic holiness. Perhaps they are not even venial sins, but they are not even pure love. What must we do at this point? A new choice of God, that is, to desire the motive of our life be only love of God, pure love, and no other thing. The church, in her wisdom, says, talking especially of semi-quietists, that it is not possible on this earth to live uninterruptedly only for the love of God. But one become aware of the call to start and start again to live only for Him. One becomes aware of how much before it was mixed, defiled, and one understands that, yes, God must be loved with all our heart, mind, strength, but for the love of Him and not for any other thing. God presents to us the need to make again this choice, and it is more difficult than the first because it is so subtle, so divine, that there is need of a grace to arrive to grasp it. And when this happens, we must see if we understand what steps to take exactly in one's own life. In the first choice, normally, though with joy, we had to make a step in the dark, in giving ourselves totally. In fact, a life totally different is presented to us without knowing what awaits us. Hence, there was also fear in making the step. This also happens in the second choice. We must also make here a jump in the dark. Even if we feel that God is calling us, a great fear to make this act of giving may come. And we ask ourselves, but I already live only for God. Must I really give all, all, all? Really doing all exclusively only for God? This is the new choice that is presented to us. One difference with the first is this. Instead of doing it with others, as it generally happens for the first time in our collective spirituality, this new choice must be done alone, precisely because its formal motive is the pure love of God. And the strongest danger is that perhaps this choice is made and then one goes back. Because with the first, once done, one forms part of a community where all the members have done the same choice. The second choice is purely spiritual. One may do it or not without apparently, exteriorly 
changing anything. One finds oneself alone with God. But together with the total generosity with which we want to give ourselves to Him, there is the easy possibility to go back. It can also happen that one never makes this step. So we find ourselves in front of persons who in themselves, having had the first sincere and beautiful conversion, are way ahead in the evangelical life. But they remain at that point for the whole of their life without ever arriving to make the second choice. So we see them good but with defects with aspects that can hurt others, with attachments. In these persons, God often intervenes with special graces, with trials, with strong blows if needed, so that they don't slow down in that situation. I think that it remains valid what had value in the first conversion. One must plunge oneself again in the love of God. If it is dark at the start, it will then become very luminous. More than ever, we must leave the present moment. Otherwise, one may think, I would never be able to act always and only for love. It is needed to do it now and then in all the following present moment. It is not a step that can be done once for always. Perhaps we need years. It is a qualitative step. It must be done. I choose to love God for God, not for what I feel, not for the fruits that I produce, but to love Him for Himself, to answer with my personal love to the personal love that He has for me. I must find in this union with God the motive for my being of my daily life. When one reaches this rapport with God, one becomes free, not anymore conditioned. Whatever happens, whatever calumny or difficulty or worry or motive of bitterness, they don't change the peace because one lives engrafted in God. That interior unity is found in God. That joy, that serenity, that only the love of God can give. One lives in another dimension. One understands well what Saint Teresa, Teresa of Avila said. We find ourselves in another mansion with another way of reasoning. It is all another thing. Obviously, this is not the point of arrival yet. God is unfathomable in His richness and love and continues to do wonderful works in our life. The life of the Spirit goes ahead in a quiet and mysterious way. There is a period in which the same meditation as we were doing it, reading the text, does not satisfy us anymore because God wants to call us to a more profound life. God begins to take possession of our will, of our love. So even the meditation becomes an act of love more than an act of intelligence. But still some disturbances come on the part of the intelligence, memory, and fantasy that were not touched yet by God. 
But after some time, perhaps 10-15 years, if one lives his life totally in God, slowly, even the intelligence, memory and fantasy are taken by God. It's not that there would not be any distractions anymore in our prayer and life of unity, in our listening and making ourselves one with the situation of the others. Surely, for the whole of our life, we would have some distractions, but they would not be anymore as they were before. And it can happen, for example, and it is a typical sign of this stage, that the half hour that is normally used to make the meditation becomes too little. One looks at the watch not to see if the time is finished, but that unfortunately the time has ended. And at times it happens that one begins to make meditations and then he realizes, but look, one hour has passed, one hour and a half has passed, and I did not realize it. So. Through repeated choices of God, God takes possession of our will, our intelligence, fantasy, memory, that were not yet struck, touched, transformed, divinized by Him, that which is possible in this life. He does it by sending us purifications that many times come to us through sickness. But we generally need much time because it is not us with our will that we can grow, but this presence of God that must grow in us and overcome our intelligence and fantasy. Until we reach the point that God takes our heart and changes it with His. Before, this happens incidentally. When it happens definitely, we arrive to that point that it is called by mystics spiritual matrimony but life does not finish here it is the beginning of a fuller and greater life what comes is what mystics say Martha unites herself to Mary it is the contemplative life united to the active life to a fruitful creativity where one fulfills great works that last through centuries precisely because one acts under the complete influence of the Holy Spirit. It is therefore a constant growing in that the life I live now is not my own. Christ is living in me. Galatians chapter 2 verse 20 These persons, whatever they do, leave a mark. Their word acquires significance, transforms, at times, a greeting is enough to convert a person. When they talk, one feels that it is God that talks through them. When they do activities, when they do their works, one notices that they are driven by God. They live, so to say, a life naturally supernatural, even if the choice of God is always to be renewed. Because the life in God is always new inexhaustible, and offers always new surprises. In front of these very beautiful and important realities, one may curiously ask to know at what point they have arrived. Now, even if we are all called to take this journey, 
it's not that we must analyze what point we are. Also because these descriptions are more typological than chronological. I tried to outline them, but in life, the things are more complex and varied. God never repeats it himself. The specific steps can vary in their, in their duration depending on the persons, and then they overlap partially. Perhaps in certain aspects, we are at a certain point of the journey, and at the same time, we already have a foretaste of the successive stage. What matters is that each one follows the way where God has placed him and live the gospel with simplicity and total fidelity with radicality and concreteness, then God will be the one to bring us ahead spiritually. One thing is certain, that the choice of God is always to be renewed. Perhaps we are called to make a third choice and then another because life in God is always new, inexhaustible, and full of surprises. Thank you for your unity.